Today's scripture reading is from John 6, 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said to them, This to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, which he had, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's good to be together. It's good to be back. Thank you for praying for me. I had a chance to be with my mother last weekend. My mother has turned 93 years old. So uh, we are excited as a family. She is uh, still very much uh, with us, uh, fun to talk with, able, able to carry on good conversations about her life. And uh, we as a family are just uh, delighted. And we were really, really glad to be together last week. So uh, thank you, Nathaniel, for uh, giving us the word of God. I listened to your sermon uh, and I was really blessed by it. Uh, so we continue now with this series on the signs of John's gospel and the feeding of the 5,000 uh, here in John chapter 6. Let's take a moment and let's ask our God to be with us. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have sent the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. I just pause and I ask that you would intervene in this moment um, and do what you and you alone can do. And that is that make this, this presentation come alive and with, a, with a joyful uh, response to you, with an, uh, an aliveness that there's, a, that there's a way we can live now based upon what Jesus has done. Father, move us away from unlived truth and uh, move us into the, to the joy of, of what this text is indicating. Thank you uh, that you can do these things. I cry out out of my own desperation that you would intervene for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, last week, uh, in listening to Nathaniel's sermon, I heard him illustrate uh, the beauty of Sabbath by uh, an amazing trip he had with a friend in the White Mountains of Arizona. And uh, they had just this idyllic backpacking experience. And I was reflecting a bit about uh, what a wonderful... I've never had a great backpacking experience. Um... You know, there's a. I, I think roughing it is waiting two rings for room service. So um, 
Uh, backpacking and I have not had a long history, but in, when I was in college, um, a friend of mine and I, we decided to go backpacking in the Sierra Mountains. So if you go to Mount Whitney, uh, you have to go across a pass there, about 10,000 feet. You drop into a beautiful valley, and if you go to the left, you can climb Mount Whitney. We, 10,000 is high enough. So we went into this beautiful valley, and I was really excited because I had a telescopic fly rod. And uh, so this was, I was, what we had was a couple of cans of beans, some rice, and a lot of foolishness. So we're going to make it, and we're back in this beautiful, beautiful area, lots of little lakes and creeks and stuff. And so I, we are dependent on me to catch fish. So the first full day comes by, and I am in a little creek, and there's lots of overhanging, uh, you know, limbs and branches, and I'm having a really hard time, and I catch, like, I think it was three small trout. It was amazing. First time I've ever fly fished in my life. I didn't even think it was possible there'd be any fish in this little creek. And so we take, you know, again, you're cooking at that altitude. It takes about nine hours to cook something. <laughs> and we have our fish, and we have our rice, and we go to bed, and we're barely fed. And now tomorrow... So uh, we found a, a large, larger lake, no action, no action, until the end of the day. And then I caught, again, three or four trout, and we cooked, again, nine hours, cooked them up, and we ate. And again, boiling rice at 10,000 feet, you can all imagine. So uh, lest we become those campers you read about, you know, those guys who weren't ready and they, they, they died up there somewhere, we looked at each other, and uh, we both came to reason. Let's get out of here. So we hightailed it out of there the next morning and got back down to Lone Pine, California, where we parked your car, and uh, we got out of there. And most of the time, it was a sense of desperation. Most of the time, I, could, I couldn't even tell you what the mountains looked like because I was so distracted, so anxious about the idea of fishing and sustaining our existence up there that it preoccupied my mind. This is a text that goes very, very simple. In fact, I think it has a kind of a movement to it. First of all, there's a sense of desperation. There's a sense of need. Are you familiar with it? They're on the side of the Lake, Lake Galilee there. If you look at the, think of a the clock, they're on kind of the, about 9 o'clock, Lake Galilee, little, little region there. Wilderness kind of thing. And uh, Jesus turns to Philip, says, okay, what's the plan? What do you think? Where are we going to get food? How's this going to work? Philip says, there's no way. It's about at least calculating in his mind. He says 200 denarii, which is really about eight months of wages wouldn't work. In fact, if we were able, we were able to buy food, uh, we, everybody would just get a little bit. And then uh, we have the, uh, the small boy that Andrew points out, and he's got the loaves and the fish. And then the miracle happens, Jesus uh, gives thanks, the miracle takes place, and then the overflow, 12 baskets full, and then, as, as Brandon mentioned, these people begin to think, hey, wait a minute now, we got a miracle worker, let's work this, let's think this through here. And they begin to think about him being a king, and they begin to imagine a way to force him to be a king. That's the flow of the, flow of the text, you're familiar with it. Really, Jesus is at the center, he's at the center of John's gospel at this point, it's very interesting that all the Gospels, all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them have the feeding of the 5,000 as uh, recorded. Interesting. 
It's a key miracle. It is going to be the attention of many, many of, of these four Gospels. This is the miracle. Jesus will feed them, and uh, they will be astonished. So, the signs of John's Gospel are always pointing away to some other greater truth. Right? We've been catching on to that. And there's a couple of popular, popular interpretations of this text sort of out there. Jesus, look what he can do. He can give you an abundant life. That's good, that's good. John 10.10 says that Jesus came to give life and to give them life in abundance. So that's true, it's good. Another one is to focus on the boy. And the boy there, he's available. Sometimes we think about, you know, you might hear someone say, look, the point is that we're to offer what's our little meager offering uh, to Jesus and he'll turn it into something good, right? So we can get a little lesson out of that little story there. And Jesus will transform your meager, meager offerings. It's interesting that you look at the text, there's no commands for us. There's no exhortations. There's nothing for us to be. Or we're just watching Jesus do a miracle. And uh, there's kind of a, really the point is that he's the center of the story and he is the one who provides a miracle feeding. Simple as it is, that's, that's really what, what's going on. We're an amazing miracle and we're watching Jesus do what only Jesus can do. He's feeding people in a miraculous way. Okay, now that's going to, obviously as we read the rest of the gospel, we're going to find out what does it look like for Jesus to truly, truly feed us, right? So, the first thing, the first movement of the, of the text is really Jesus is anticipating the need of the people before anyone else is thinking about it. So he sees, he knows, they're going to be asking questions about food, and so he anticipates the needs. This is for the first idea. It's very simple. Food is just part of the daily rhythm of life, isn't it? Very much part of our lives. Uh, just think of the say the elders of the church here wanted to have a meeting some Sunday after church, and we just announced it, and we have something to talk about or some reason to get together. And okay, at eleven thirty, we're going to gather, and we're going to we're going to be here till four o'clock. Can you imagine how you would? Oh, you'd try to listen patiently, you try to get in, be engaged, and there's no plan for food. Are you all tracking? In fact, you are just moments away from. Just crying out for food if I keep dwelling on it, right? If you haven't had a good breakfast, this is a painful morning. You're dwelling on it already. If I begin to describe restaurants downtown Kailua, I'm going to drive you crazy. Food, incredibly powerful thing, isn't it? When you eat food, it's hard to think about anything else. I'm, I'm eating a Happy Meal. I'm having a cheeseburger. I know I'm having a cheeseburger. It's happening right now. There's a cheeseburger in my mouth. It's going on right now. It's, it's happening. It's, it's invading my whole body. It's, it's all happening. It's, right? It's what it means to be human. You're connected to not just this gener- generic idea of nature. You're, created, you're connecting to, to creation. You are a created being, and you are moving in the rhythm of creation. So the purpose of these signs has got to be to move us back into the rhythm of creation. What you've been made for. There's a, there's a signal going on here. A sign is pointing to some greater need for human flourishing. I wasn't experiencing that human flourishing up in the Sierras that day. It was a human experience of desperation. 
Jesus takes over, not even, uh, uh, this is tough, you can't even find a, a, a source for the food, right? Now, in our day and age, we're used to this idea, what do you mean you don't have Chilean blueberries shipped in for my dessert? What do you mean you don't have uh, uh, capers for my salad from Spain? What do you mean you... In other words, we're used to this idea that things are shipped around, cargo ships, moving lettuce and tomatoes and apricots or whatever you'd like. You can find it. We are very much used to a strong and consistent food supply. We don't really think much at all about food shortages. Jesus takes over where there's a desperate shortage of food. Then the need, so the need is, need is anticipated, then the need is fulfilled. And of course, we, we get this, don't we? The story is there, it's clear. 5,000 people, well-fed at least, and we know that it's, it's possible that they were all only counting the men, and then we think about the women and the children, thousands and thousands of people feasting from this miracle worker, Jesus. It's interesting that in John 6, 4, John points out that this is happening during the Passover when there are feasts going on in Jerusalem But the real feasting is happening at the feet of Jesus. Interesting. So the need is fulfilled, and then the people realize, wait a minute, this need is going to return. Isn't it amazing how full you've been with a wonderful meal, and you think to yourself, there's no way I'll ever eat again. I think that. I'm always, I'm always so, so overwhelmed and so delighted with food and so filled and always overeating, and that's all right. And because this is going to work, it's going to work for hours, it's going to work for days. I can't even imagine needing food again. And then you know it happens. It returns. And Jesus comes along, and can you imagine someone who's going to fulfill this need continually? A miracle worker of bread fish, whatever he can. Let's see what else, what other part, aspects of the buffet he can supply. The people realized that Moses had promised a great prophet to come, Deuteronomy 18. There's going to be a greater prophet to come. And the people said, this must be the one. And they merged two ideas. He's the prophet and we need a king. And so they began to think about how Jesus could serve in another role. He could set up a structure for society a new social structure. And uh, Jesus perceives that uh, they want to make him a king. In verse 15, he resists resists the idea. Verse 15, he says, nope, they're going to take him by force. They're going to figure out a way to put him into some sort of a, a situation where his compassion will perhaps be manipulated. He'll be drawn into this thing and some political rebellion, and he will take over out of compassion and love for for the people. Such a rare thing to have abundance in that day. They, they were blessed, and they wanted to continue to have that blessing, the filling, the filling of, that Jesus could provide. So, your need will return. Your needs are returning, and all of us, as we experience this, are now figuring out a way to have them continually fulfilled. There are needs for abundance. There's a need for order. There's a need for peace in our lives. A a sense of purpose, structure, hope, safety, security. This is where you live. This is where I live. 
And if we could have a way of a structured society, a structured way, a, a way of living that would actually provide us these things, isn't that interesting? Isn't it interesting to, to listen to politicians? They are making many, many promises. Of course, they want to be elected, right? That's the idea. And they make many, many promises about how they will establish a society, that, a, a structure of living that will come through for you. Interesting. They are promise keepers, but can they really deliver? Actually, we, we don't really turn to political solutions so much. It, do we really? I, I, my thing is I think we just kind of go inward. My thing is I don't see a lot of people protesting on streets and demanding a certain way of this or that. I, I, see, I think a lot of us, when we think about our needs and the recurring nature of our needs, I think a lot of us, we just sort of try harder. I think we just want to go inward. We work harder. We plan better. Get a little more, get a little more technologically savvy, right? Yeah, that's, that's what's going to work. It's sort of an inward, inward focus. My plan is going to go inward. I just need to improve myself, and, and a lot of good things will come. What, what are you doing? Just what are you doing to to have a, a continually meeting of your need. Where, where, where does your heart go? In the text of verse 14 and 15, they, they begin, they, well, all right, let's, this is it. He's, let, let's get the structure. Let's make him our king. We're always going somewhere. We're always, our hearts are always moving. They're always moving. We want security. We want stability. Interesting, Jesus resists their attempts to make him king. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal, isn't it? Why, we would call him Lord and King of Kings, and we would sing about him, and we would pray to him as our king. And in fact, the, the new humanity, the, the, new, the new humanity that Jesus is making is, is, is under his kingship. That's right. So it's interesting that their appetites are, are heightened by being filled. They understand what they truly need. And then this is interesting. At no time are their appetites ever really examined, ever really questioned. They desire for political order. They want to get out from a a yoke of servitude to Rome, perhaps. And they think they know what they need. Isn't that unlike that? They think they know what they need. Jesus is to become a king according to the people's wishes but they'll never have to own up to anything. They'll never have to confess anything. They'll never have to have their hearts exposed. There's no repentance and there's no cross. Interesting, isn't it? So the legitimate need for food, the legitimate need for food and for good government doesn't quite speak to the whole human condition. So being well-fed actually doesn't quite do it. You can still be very hungry. Actually, having a well-ordered society actually will, will fall short of the kind of order that you truly need. It's interesting. It's easy to identify with these in John 6. I would have been taken away with this miracle worker, and I would have wanted to establish a way to regularly have him do miracles for me. It's that there's a temptation to remake Jesus into the kind of king we would like. 
Now, I could illustrate things from American evangelicalism at this point about how Americans have associated cultural ideas, cultural ideas with Jesus. There's lots of illustrations that could be used here, but I think, I think you are on to some of those kinds of things. I think we as, a, we as a church are no doubt shaped by the culture. We are being influenced, and we're, we're not immune from, from trying to shape Jesus into images that we may want. But Jesus, we learn, teaches more about what it means to, to need bread in John 6. So let me read to you. If you have a Bible, just listen out loud. Jesus actually takes the, the theme of bread, food, drink, and he, he, he expands on it and speaks on it from many, many different angles. In John 6, we learn that in verse 35, he says these words, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day day. Then look at this, verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I, verse 48, 648, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread and came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the miracle worker, the miracle meal is the flesh of Jesus. He's now drawing us in through this great illustration of feeding the 5,000 to this great illustration of what does it look like to feed from Jesus unto eternal life. That's great stuff. In fact, he goes on to say that his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. Wow. So, Jesus intends to produce through his life and his death produce for us a continual meal from which we will always be filled. So, in those days, the food, there was no refrigeration. So, when you harvested things, guess what you ate? Real quickly, you ate that. Pears, figs, pomegranates. So, they always had a view of food to be consumed right away, and it was out of a view of scarcity. Crops were not always in abundance. Jesus is contrasting their experience with what it's like to believe in him. It is an experience of continual feeding, an experience of continual abundance. So he's presenting himself as the continual source of sustenance leading all the way to eternal life. So, so as a church, what are we doing with this? What does it mean for us to gather this morning here? 
Here we have a story. We know it's true. The scriptures are true. This happened. How does this connect with our day-to-day life as a church? What does it, work? What does it mean? Well, I would describe believing on Jesus in our worship context as a feeding. We are feeding off Jesus unto eternal life. We're being reminded of what it looks like to feed off Jesus. We are gathering in order to be fed and to be fed so well that we now no longer have self-concern and we're now looking out onto the world like Jesus would. So I would describe it as deep gospel. Deep gospel feeding that leads to deep engagement. This sign was done for the disciples. The disciples are watching how Jesus intends to feed people continually, and they will get it. And they will move into other cultures, other nations, other places, and they will come and they will see the true need of people. Deep gospel is what people need. They need to be well-fed by the miracle-working flesh and blood of Jesus. And so well-fed people are growing to engage others. Comprehending and tasting Jesus' saving power leads us into ministry. These are signs of the restored humanity and the church's ministry is, that is central to what the church is doing, restoring people's humanity. So we encounter people who think they're tapping into their true need. We, we encounter people who think they're understanding their true situation in life. I need a perfectly landscaped home. All right? So this is where all of life energy goes. I need a life that is, and now you can fill in the blank. And so we're operating off pretty much the assumption of our day and age is if you start a sentence with need, it's always legitimate. We just think about that. And so, here are people who think they've tapped into their need, and Jesus resists it. How does, what's going on here? And this is what we do in ministry, is we come along, and we can serve people meals who need it. We can minister to their need, and then we point them to their true need. See? Isn't that great? So we are engaging with people, meeting felt needs, And we're working to think and pray and to assist them, to answer questions, to engage them. They are experiencing short-lived joys that are not working, and they are increasingly, at least with age, might be hard to convince a 16-year-old this, but a 46-year-old, yeah. Short-lived joys, chasing down the magic it. And they become aware of it. They have taken a deep drink from something, and it no longer works. They're on a high Sierra lake, and they're, I don't know, not a lot of fish here. I thought this would be a place of abundance. And they are growing in awareness. doesn't matter how much, how much they've achieved in life. doesn't matter. doesn't matter how much, you've, how much acclimation you get. Woody Allen... Famous quote from him, he received some Lifetime Achievement Award. 
And he, somebody in the press said, hey, what's it like to have, have achieved immortality by getting this award? He said, I don't want to achieve immortality by getting a, an award. I want to achieve immortality by not dying. <laughs> See, even filmmakers are aware of it. Who has it? Where can I find it? And, of course, skepticism has, it, has covers our age as well. Some people say there's nothing out there. There is no true living bread. So we are to take on the compassion of Jesus. And you know what? It's interesting. It's not really arising out of duty or shoulds or the pulpit laying guilt on you. This isn't none of that. Put all that aside. It's like going to a really, really good restaurant and then being asked to tell someone about it. Does it feel effortless? Sure. Can you describe how they pre- prepare that chicken tetrazzini or whatever it is, right? In other words, you're just asked to tell, the, tell about the delight of it, the, the wonderful way it impacts you, the way it, it makes a difference. This restaurant really works. It really is. See what I'm saying? You'll do this. And Sunday after Sunday... We feast off the triune God's love for us. We feast off the gospel so regularly. And we who are so well fed, then we now move into gospel engagement with people. See, we have the love of Christ that really isn't based upon upon anything other than feeding off of this this love, feeding off this meal. And what is the meal? The meal is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And from this, there is no lack. From this, there is no scarcity. This is not a, a, a lake with just a few, few little morsels to eat. This is a, an abundance of, of life-giving spiritual n- nutrition. In worship, we are feeding off of Christ. And this was true for you. You were hungry, and God brought you to eat well at the cross. You were thirsty, and he gave you fine wine. You were in the wilderness, and he fed you there. You see, you were living for the moment, and he convinced you to live for eternity. You see, he, he worked at the deeper level in your life and in your heart and in your soul, and you were not even fully aware of it. He was bringing you along, not to deny you food, but to tell you what food means. And if you want a reminder what food means, you get one at least three times a day. If you want to know the power of Jesus, pause and give thanks for food and say, this food reminds me that apart from something outside of myself, I will die. Six days, no water, almost everyone dies. Eventually, some people can fast and go without food for 40, 50, 60 days, but eventually the human body, we are dependent on this creation, and this passage is telling us, of course, you're a human being, you need fish, you need loaves, but as a human being, you've been made to feast off the Son of God. 
It is not just a little thing, a private thing for a small group of, in, of, of, of human beings in a, in a small little slice of history. The whole of humanity was made and designed to feast off God. This isn't just our little private experience and sort of has personal meaning for me. It is the Son of God feeding the, the new humanity through the, his flesh and his blood. This is wonderful. This is how we've been made to live, and there is no life apart from him. That's why Jesus resisted their ideas to make him king. They did not have a highly enough exalted view of him yet. They didn't fully grasp their need. And what is so wonderful is there is no command in this passage. There is no exhortation in this passage. All we can do is sit and listen and watch. And this is how the kingdom comes. I don't even have a hunger for this king. That's okay. In the proclamation of the gospel, the hunger comes as well. You see, all we do is listen. And we receive the kingdom that comes in proclamation. It's wonderful. And what is this kingdom? What are my true needs? What needs to be awakened in my heart? I need a king who has a cross. I need a king who defeats sin. I need a king who defeats death. I need a king who defeats Satan. I don't want just a a meal once in a while. I want eternal life. I want his very body offered for the life of the world. That's my true need. And so now we have been reminded that God overcame our own resistance to him being a king. You see, we couldn't think it through clear enough. We, we couldn't imagine it rightly. And so God came in his grace and he gave us the gospel. And Jesus reframes the whole idea of what our need is. And he has now given us a radical understanding of our need. So we cannot rightly conceive or think about the king we need. And God takes over at that point and says, I will give you my son in the proclamation in the life of the church in the fellowship of the church you will experience your need of my son so what are we to do here's the exhortation continue to feed off of him continue to believe upon him and he will give you the hunger and the thirst for the flesh and for the for his flesh and for his blood that leads to eternal life. And what's remarkable is the apostles knew this and they entered into this crazy wild world of darkness and hardship and and persecution and riots and stonings. And we have Paul saying this in Romans 8, and I'll conclude. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine? Interesting. Interesting. That we could be so well fed by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That should in this dark world, in this fallen age, we experience famine, we will not be separated from the love of Christ. What will separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul goes on to say, will nakedness, peril, or the sword? Ultimately, feeding upon Jesus Christ in this way, leads to boldness. It leads to boldness. Being filled 
engaging our world, engaging others at the point of their need, all the while being strengthened with boldness. Let's pray. Lord, this is a passage about what it looks like to be well-fed, and food gives us strength. Father, when we don't have food, we are weak. And so, Father, we would thank you for the strength that the Son of God gives us and how you came to us in the proclaimed word of God, how you made the proclaimed word of God the living word of God. And now we are feasting as a church Sunday after Sunday in fellowship groups, one-on-one encounters. We are seeking to be fed. Feed us well, Lord Jesus. We don't know what we need, but we know that we need you. Be our king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.